Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Morning. Oh, I suppose it's it morning. Five minutes left. Morning, everybody. It's good to see you. As um, Matt said, along with Ollie, I lead Ivy Church Academy, and we meet in the Students' Union at Manchester University. And the reason that we do that is because we are absolutely passionate about helping students hear the good news of Jesus and have the opportunity to follow him. Well, actually, we're not that picky. We'll literally we'll share with anybody. We don't really, really care. They just happen to have a lot of free time on their hands. So you can have long conversations with them in coffee shops, and um, it's unraveling quickly, isn't it? Um, but yeah, we're passionate about helping people find their way back to God. That's why we meet where we meet. And um, alongside that, I also run the Ivy Church church planting residency program. And as I was preparing for today, I really believe that there are people in this room who are called to plant churches. And you need to come and talk to me about the church planting residency after this, after this talk. And if you've never thought about it, and it, something is just going, oh, I wonder what that is, you, you need to come and talk to me too. So um, I'm married to Rebecca, and uh, we celebrated our, we just celebrated our one-year anniversary, which is cute. Yeah. Um, I was told no photos allowed. And um, we met at Theology College uh, at WTC, and so got more than I bargained for. Um, now, I was brought up in a Christian family, and we uh, lived in Manchester. Um, but when I went away to university... Uh, within a couple of years, I completely stopped going to church. And it wasn't until years later, actually by visiting mum and dad uh, for the weekends, I would go along with Alex, my sister. Hey, Alex. And we used to go to Pars Woods, to, to Kingsway in Pars Wood. And I, after years and years of doing life my own way and not getting very far, despite having a great job, um, it all seemed very empty. I went to a service that Sunday morning, it was about five years ago, and there was people packed into the cinema screen, worshipping Jesus with everything that they had, and I, I couldn't ignore it anymore, and I was so stunned by it, that it wasn't, you know, you guys, many of you were there, you weren't there because you just, it was just what you did on the weekends, you're there because you wanted to be, and you wanted to worship God, and I, that for me was the day that I said, okay, God, if you're real, you need to make yourself real to me, and he did. And I had my life completely changed by revelation of the love of God. And so I'm an ordinary person who's met with an extraordinary God. And uh, he is absolutely amazing. And actually, two weeks later, after that, I went for a coffee with Anthony and uh, the leader of the church here. And um, bearing in mind, two weeks after making the decision to follow Jesus or trying to start working out what it meant, we met up for a coffee and he started talking to me about church planting. And I was like, why are you telling me about church planting? I didn't even own a Bible at this point. And, um, but he said that they'd been praying for people to come to Manchester, that they could train up to go and plant churches. And I just thought he was crazy. But a year later, that's what I did. I left my job in London and I came here. And uh, the thing that's hilarious is the thing that finally clinched it, because I did a lot of flip-flopping as I was making up my mind about whether I was going to do it or not, was that Anthony said to me that basically I would regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't come. So Anthony has missed a calling in strong-arming sales, but there you go. So I guess what I want to say really is that it is a privilege to be able to speak to you today. Is, and I say this a lot. There is literally nothing I'd rather be doing and nowhere I'd rather be than being a part of what God is doing through Ivy Church in Manchester. So it's an absolute privilege to be here. Okay, so we are in a series here at Ivy called Hear, See and Go. 
all about hearing what God is saying, seeing what he is doing, and going to join in. Now, I know that you guys had a uh, community Sunday last week, so I'm going to start by doing a bit of a recap to bring you up to speed. We're in the book of Acts. Um, So if you've got a paper Bible with you, um, we're going to be in Acts 11 shortly, but I'm going to set up with a, a bit of context. So Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. It is comes after the accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and it's all about what happens next. And at the beginning of the book, Jesus says to his followers, wait in Jerusalem. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then what follows over 28 chapters is an extraordinary account of what God God does through ordinary people, through the power of his Holy Spirit in their lives who have surrendered to him and have made it their aim to make him known. It's an incredible book. People are raised from the dead, healed, set free from demons. Cities are in chaos and uproar. Thousands of people come to know Jesus and put their faith in him. And churches are planted all across the Mediterranean. And they did all of this without social media, without Facebook, without what, you know, without any digital communications at all, just word of mouth, it's extraordinary. And they are constantly opposed, beaten, chased from city to city, stoned and killed by Jews, Romans, and just about anybody else, but they never let go of the hope that they had in Jesus and the message that he is Lord, because they had met with the risen king, they'd met with the risen Jesus, they'd had their lives radically changed by him, and they'd been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you've not read through the book of Acts, do. It's better than anything you're going to watch on Netflix. Okay, so the story we looked at last week comes immediately after the believers in Jerusalem are scattered because a persecution is broken out against them um, as a result of a man called Stephen, one of the disciples, being stoned to death. And God gives Peter, one of the other disciples, a vision to prepare him to go outside of his comfort zone to share the good news of Jesus with a very unlikely man, a Roman centurion who is a leader of the occupying army of Rome, and his name was Cornelius, but he was open to God. And so when Peter shared with him, he and everyone in his household was filled with the Holy Spirit and they started praising God. And this is a really important moment in the story because I think it's the first moment when the disciples realized that this message of Jesus was not just for their own people, but it was for the whole world, for people from every nation of, uh, throughout all history. And so that message has been going global ever since. Um, so the story we're going to look at today, it comes immediately after Peter's story. Um, I'm going to read it in a moment, but I want us to go on a journey today, okay? So I want us to imagine that we're a part of this and place ourselves in it. Does that sound good? Great. So I want us to imagine that we are part of the early church in first century Jerusalem, okay? Done that? (laughs) Has anyone actually been to Jerusalem? One person. Thank you, Mars. Oh, a few people. Awesome. Okay. So... Um, this might be harder to imagine, but let's just go with it. Okay, so we're in, the, we're in Jerusalem. We've seen in a few months and years, thousands of people come to know Jesus after he was raised from the dead. But a persecution has come and scattered them all across the, the known world, all across the Mediterranean. But we, the apostles, have stayed in Jerusalem. I'm not sure why we've stayed, but we decided to stay. Um, and after a while, reports start coming in of something that is happening, something that God is doing in a city called Antioch, 400 miles away, one of the, the third largest city in the Roman Empire, uh, a really uh, successful cosmopolitan city, population of about half a million. 
and reports are coming in that loads of people are coming to know Jesus. And, and they're like, what's going on? Like, we, didn't, we don't know anybody down there, do we? And we better go and uh, find out what's going on, right? And um, as I was thinking about this, it's like today, you hear stories about people coming to faith in really difficult countries in Syria, Iran, China, India. And we've just been reading um, uh, The Heavenly Man, which is a book about uh, a Chinese man who was part of a big move of God in China that's still going on. And the stories are unreal. There's things you'd never imagine. It's not like Acts continued. But anyway, and when I read those stories, I'm like, I want to go and see what God's doing. I want to be, I'm like, what is happening there? So I'm reading this and I'm, I'm feeling that they're excited too. And uh, so the church in, in Jerusalem is like, well, we're like, okay, we better go send someone to see if it's all kosher. And um, so they send a man called Barnabas. And I want us to imagine that today we're Barnabas, okay, and we're going to go to Antioch, 400 miles away, and we're going to find out what God is doing. So let's do that. Um, the verses are going to come up on the screens. If you've got a paper Bible, uh, read along too. It says this in Acts 2, oh yeah, we're in verse 19 to 26. It says, Excuse me. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, which is in North Africa, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. When Barnabas arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas, uh, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So when Barnabas goes, when we go down to Antioch, when Barnabas goes to Antioch, what does he find? Normal people. Normal people. No names, no titles. No one gets a shout out. It's every day, normal people like you and me sharing the good news of Jesus around them everywhere they went as they were scattered. Was he disappointed? Do you think he was expecting something more spectacular? I don't know. But it says that he was glad and he rejoiced. And I think that's because this is how God works. He uses ordinary people, people like you and me, to do extraordinary things as we make known the name of Jesus. These are not people that know everything because it says later that Paul and, uh, Saul and Barnabas go and teach them more, but it all starts with these guys who just start telling people about Jesus as they go along. They're people that love him and love telling people about him. Now, one of my favorite books uh, is a book by a guy called Steve Addison, and it's called Movements That Change the World. And in it, he talks about five different marks of movement. And he's talking about movements of people who love Jesus, who have had a massive impact on the world around them. And he says that church history is not made by well-financed, well-resourced individuals and institutions. History is made by men and women of faith who have met with the living God. Have you met with the living God? Because he wants to meet with you. And if you're here today, I pray that you do today. Because this is, not, this is not just something that's traditional for us. This is not just something that's nice for us. It's not just something that we kind of do because it's what we've always done. It's because we have met with the living God and we are not the same people that we were before. Because Jesus has changed our lives. That's my story. And I know it's a story of so many of us here today. He is to be known. He is to be encountered. He is to be experienced and enjoyed and loved. Now and forever. He is awesome. 
And if you've met with the living God, then what I want to say to you today is go and change the world. Go and change the world around you. How do you do that? Well, it says of these people that they began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus. The good news that God humbled himself and became a man, and that through his life and death and resurrection, that we can be put right with God, we can have a relationship with him, become citizens of his kingdom, children of God, and know him now and forever. It is amazing, it's outrageous, and it's life-changing. But that's our story. And if you want to be part of seeing the world transformed, if you want to be a part of what God is doing in the world, then start telling people about him as often as you can. Now, a friend of mine once encouraged me, well, she said that the way she encouraged people to share their faith was to name drop Jesus into conversations. And I really like that. And she said that, I asked her for an example, and that she said that once she was in a shopping center and a a person on the street asked her if she had a cigarette lighter, and she said, can you see where this is going? She said, no, but I know the light of the world. Okay, bit cheesy, but it works. So I thought, you know, I'll start doing that. And um, I went, uh, one of my good mates uh, wanted to go shopping to get a gift for his girlfriend. And uh, so I went with him to Trafford Centre and we went to Selfridges. He had no idea what he was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. And, um, and he asked me the question from the other side of this rail of clothes that I don't know if she would have ever been interested in. But he looked up at me and he said, what's the best gift that I could get my girlfriend? And I was like, oh, it's that moment. That moment has come. And I just said, I just said, I don't know how I kept a straight face. I was trembling in my boots. But I said, the gift of a relationship with God in Jesus. And he said, he just smiled at me. And he said, well, how do I do that? And I said, you have to receive it first. And six months later or so, he did. And that was so good. So it's like, go for it. Be bold. You know, don't be fearful. Go for it. So can you do that? How many times could you name drop Jesus into a conversation this week? At work, with your family, anywhere you are. Seriously, how many times could you do that? Now I know that it can be a little bit scary sharing Jesus with people um, because you get all kinds of responses. And um, you don't know what they're going to say, right? And and I think one area especially difficult for me when I came to faith was work. Because I worked in sales. I was like, I was a businessman. I was a sales director. And I didn't want people thinking I was a Bible basher or been radicalized or something. And so I kind of held back from talking to people at work. But then, long story short, God completely outed me. And so I had to start talking to people. And what I found was that as I stopped worrying about what everyone was thinking about me all the time and started sharing the hope that I found in Jesus, I suddenly discovered it's the most freeing thing you can do. Because it's like being totally you. It's to talk about the one that you love more than anybody else. Um, and actually, you do get all kinds of responses. When I, when I shared with my best friend uh, from school for the first time, he, I asked him what he thought about Jesus and my experience and my story. And he said that I'd probably had a psychotic episode and should t- um, I should get m- uh, urgent medical attention. <laughs> so that was a very humbling moment. Look, guys, it is going to happen. Don't worry about it. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, it says this. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Do you feel foolish and weak when you share your faith with people? Do you ever feel like that? Good. That's what God's going to use. He uses a simple message of Jesus to bring people to himself. I think we're waiting for a move of God. 
And it's awesome that we can gather often to pray for that and uh, like Greater Manchester Prayer Nights be praying. But I also think that God is waiting for a move of us. He's given us the power of his Holy Spirit. He says that we have everything that we need for life and godliness. And he's just waiting for us to go, are you going to take a risk? Are you going to step out? So, and because he's promised that he'll be with us when we go. And it says that in this passage. It says, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So my question is, what could you do to start telling people about Jesus and helping people to find out who he is? About six months after coming to faith, I had an idea of starting an alpha course in my workplace. And I even could imagine, you know, there's like when people put up those posters and they have like the rip things at the bottom with your phone number on it so they can get in touch. I even like, I knew exactly what the poster was going to look like. And um, I could imagine them in in the kitchens at work at the office. And so I asked my church leader about it and he said, no, don't do that. Do our alpha course first. So I just never did it. I never did it. And now I think, oh my word, I wish I'd just done it. And maybe I wasn't ready to do it on my own, but with a bit of help, I think I could have done it. And so I guess I say that because I really want to say to you, you don't need to wait for our permission to go after the things that God is calling you to do as you seek to make him known in this world. And if you've got ideas, if you've got dreams, if there's something you want to do, we're here to help as much as we can. And we want to help you and equip you to do that in any way possible. So I just want to say, go for it. We have some students at Academy, and uh, they're on the, all on the same course together. It's a bit of a mouthful, because I get it wrong every time I say it. It's International Disaster Management and Humanitarian Aid, and they are uh, second-year students. It's about 30 of them on their course, and two or three of them go to our church. And um, one of the conversations that comes up a lot when you study humanitarian disasters is, where do you find hope in such a broken world? And so a couple of the students thought this was a great opportunity to bring a bit of hope. So they decided that they were going to start a prayer meeting with, for their fellow students. And they were going to do it after one of their lectures on a Thursday. So that's what they did. And they started inviting their co- uh, course mates to come. And very quickly, eight or so people started going along. People that had never been to church, no interest in faith before that at all. And through that, one of the, guy, one of the guys who came along, he came to faith in Jesus. Because he experienced something that he'd not experienced before. And he was baptized by our student worker in his bath uh, with all of the other students gathered around him. And it was amazing. See, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He wants to use you too. Every single one of us. What could you do? Okay, back to the story. So it says in, uh, I think it's verse 23, it says, When Barnabas arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And I think this encouragement really is for us today too. So I'm going to break it down. Um, uh, We're going to do some Greek today. okay? So the first part of that, remain true. The Greek word is prosmino, which means to abide in, to remain in, to be loyal to, to persist or be be glued to, attached to. And Barnabas tells them to do this with all their hearts. Now, heart is not just kind of like the feels. It's not just our emotions or like like a feeling of love in this sense. I guess that means that a bit today. It's beyond, it's more than emotions or feelings. It's really, it's like, it's everything that we are that is able to act and interact in the world. Our ability to choose, to make choices. It's our will, it's our inner self, it's our character. It's, it's like all that we are. And so what Barnabas is saying is like with everything that we have, to these new believers in Antioch, with, with everything that they have, they are to stay true to the Lord with every fiber of their being to hold on to him until the day that they get to be with him in heaven. 
And so it's a bit like this. Uh, where did Matt go? Can I invite Matt to come up? Oh, yeah, there we are. Sorry. Okay. So you have to imagine that Matt is Jesus. <laughs> okay. Matt, you're Jesus. And I'm a, I'm a disciple. I'm a new disciple. And it's basically like, as you wander around, I'm like holding on. I'm locked arms with Jesus, okay? I'm going anywhere that he takes me. Whatever happens, there's going to be loads of things that want to distract me, that want my loyalty, that want my allegiance, that are like, are you sure God loves you? Because if God really loved you, if God really loved you, these things wouldn't be happening. And I'm like, no, I'm holding on to Jesus, you know? Okay, thanks so much. (laughs) But Barnabas is saying, with everything that you are, hold on to Jesus, because times are going to come that are hard and rubbish. And he's saying, no, hold on to Jesus, because his love never fails, and the hope you have in him will never let you down. You know, and sometimes, you know, for these people at this time in history, and for many Christians around this world today, the threat of persecution was real. People lost their businesses, they lost their lives, they lost their families. It's crazy. We can't imagine it. But Barnabas is saying, whatever comes, you hold on to him. And actually, you know, for us, it might not be persecution in that sense, but there will be circumstances that will come, and you'll get that voice that says, if God really loved you, would this be happening? Or actually, is God really there? And I really believe that God is saying to us to hold on. In Romans chapter 5, it says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And as I was preparing for today and thinking about um, covering Matt's pat leave in September, we're talking about you guys. And I'm, I'm aware that there are many difficult situations that you'll face and going through at this time. And I really believe that like, God wants to say to you to remain in him. Don't let go of him. The hope you have in Jesus will never put you to shame. You will never be disappointed when you put your hope in Jesus. And I think maybe there are some others today that actually, that, that it's, it's like God is inviting you to attach yourself to him in a way that you haven't before. And maybe that you're already a follower of Jesus and there's some other area of your life where you're actually saying, actually, I want to put Jesus first there. Or it might be for you, for you yourself today. And I'll give you the opportunity to do that later. Okay, so Barnabas spends time with there, and God does even more amazing things, and more people come to know him. And then it says this in the last bit of the passage. It says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is quite significant, okay? The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, I did a bit of research on this. It surprised me to find out that the word Christian only appears three times in the Bible. Does that surprise you? I don't know. That surprised me. I thought it should appear like loads of times. Um, now, this, the word Christian became a popular term later on, but only after the New Testament had been finished written. So you're talking 20, um, second century AD. Really up until this point, and for a little while afterwards, followers of Jesus called themselves followers of the way, they called themselves brethren, they called themselves saints, they called themselves brother and sister, and, they, and the passage today uses the word disciples. They didn't call themselves Christians, they were, it was basically, it was a nickname that was given to them by the people in Antioch, by everybody else. Uh, so what does it mean? Well, Greek, in, in Greek it is Christianos, 
And it's actually a combination of two words. The first is Christos, which is the Greek, one of the Greek titles for Jesus. And then the other part of the word, which is Ianos, and it means like followers or those loyal to or those who have pledged a deep, undying allegiance to. They're like, there's no, it's probably like saying that they were Jesus people. They were just known for being Jesus people. Now, to give you a bit of like context, in a similar way, members of Emperor Caesar's household uh, were called Caesarinoi or Caesarinos, which basically is like, we're Caesar's people. We belong to him. We've pledged our allegiance to him. And I guess, like, contemporary example, it'd be like calling someone um, a Mayite or a, Blair, or a Blairite or a Corbinite today. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah? Still with me? Yeah. Great. Um, and so the name Christian, it was used as a nickname and as a, actually really as a derogatory term in attempt to mock people who were followers of Jesus who'd been crucified and raised to life. And actually, unsurprisingly, therefore, it became a badge of honor for people that had committed their lives to him and loved him with everything that they had. And the Christians at that time, they were those who didn't give their ultimate allegiance to Rome, but they gave their ultimate allegiance to Jesus over and above Rome, over and above politicians, over and above family expectations, over and above professional reputation, over and above career goals, over and above personal ambition, and over and above people's high opinion on them. They were Jesus people through and through, and that was it. So how did they get his reputation? Well, first of all, we kind of said it already, but they talked about him all the time. So they just got known as being the people that talked about Jesus being Lord. Now, this actually works, okay. So three years ago, uh, um, we did a, a week of outreach uh, at Academy, and um, it was the first time I'd ever done anything like this. And uh, we were sharing the gospel on campus, praying with students, and uh, that week we met a girl two or three times, and she started calling me Christian Tim. Okay, so two, I think it was two years later, I was out in Fallowfield, uh, where I live, and I saw her, and she came up to me, and she said, oh, Christian Tim. And she was with a friend, and her friend said, what, you're Christian Tim? And I was like, uh, I, I guess so, why? And it turns out that basically where we were on the campus that year, it was like the main entrance, and there's 3,000 students that live there in Fallowfield. It's crazy. And they would always they had to come through this gateway where we were to go to get the buses into town for their nights out. So we talked to hundreds of students that week. It was awesome. And basically, people started talking about us, the Christians that were giving out sweets and water and things like that. And, um, and basically, uh, this girl said that she had met... I'd never met her, but she had met another person called Tim in Freshers' Week that year... And when she'd put her, uh, his number in her phone, she put it in as Tim, in brackets, not Christian Tim. I was like, I've never met you. It was hilarious. And for me, that was a huge encouragement to never give up sharing the hope we have, because we have no idea what God's going to do with that. We have no idea who's going to uh, respond. So they talked about him all the time. But, you know, I think for these Christians, it came from a deeper place. Because they didn't just talk about him. They were all about him. You see that... While Christian is only used three times in the Bible, the word that is most commonly used to, to describe how Christians at that time understood themselves is a Greek word that appears 124 times in the New Testament, and it's duolos. Okay, so everybody say duolos. Duolos. Pretty good. And basically, it means slave. It means slave. And if you read your Bible, you'll miss it, because most translations don't use that word at all. They'll use servant. 
Now, I did a bit of research on this and found out that there are many Greek words that can be used to mean servant, but doulos is not one of them. And this, this is important because the duties of a servant and a slave may overlap, but the fundamental distinction is that a servant chooses who they serve and, and who they work for, but a slave belongs to their master and they are totally dependent on him and they do whatever they, he asks or she asks. And so obviously the, word, the use of this word in the Bible is not to affirm the social injustice of human slavery, but instead it was a vivid image that Christians used at that time to describe what they had willingly and joyfully and lovingly chosen to do, which was to become slaves of Christ, to give them their full loyalty and allegiance with everything that they had, laying down all of their own rights, all of their own ambitions, and placing their trust totally and wholly in him, to become all about his business and to joyfully live under his authority. And that's what it means to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a huge statement. And, and to say that is to say that we've become his slaves, basically. It means to say that we have chosen to lay ourselves down for his sake. And we're able to do that because of his tremendous love for us. And the beautiful irony of this is, is that to do this is the greatest freedom that any person can have. So I guess my question is, and what does it look like for us to give our ultimate allegiance to Jesus and to honour him in every part of our lives, at work or family or in our friendship groups or personal goals, whatever it might be? What impact could we have on the world if we did that? What could God do through us? Okay, I want to bring this all together. When Barnabas when we went to Antioch to see what God was doing, this amazing thing that everyone was talking about, we found ordinary people that loved Jesus with everything that they had, telling everybody that they knew and met all about him. These are the kinds of people that will see the kingdom of God come and the world changed. And God is inviting us, every single one of us here today, to be a part of that and everyone else across the whole world too. So how can we do that? A final thought. Can I invite the band to come up, guys? It says this in Philippians 2.5. We're able to do this by looking to Jesus. It says this, that having the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a dualos, a slave and being made in human likeness. Do you see what's happening there? Is that God, who had ultimate freedom, the most powerful being in the universe, the creator and sustainer of all life, chose to limit and humble himself and become nothing, to become a slave, so that we could be set free and become his. And it says this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Let's just close our eyes. Just take a moment to think about what I've just shared.
Jesus, we can't thank you and praise you enough for what you've done for us, that you gave your life for us, that you humbled yourself and became nothing for us so that we could become yours, so that we could have life and life in all its fullness, so that we could find freedom and healing and restoration, so that we can become a part of what you're doing in this earth and live lives that glorify you and reflect you. And I pray, almighty God, that you would help us to choose to do the same for your sake, to lay everything down and say we belong to you, we're yours, we're Jesus' people because of the love that you have shown us. And no other love is there in this universe that even comes close. So Lord, I pray that our lives would reflect what you did for us on the cross, that we would humble ourselves too and live our lives by faith in you, the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. Um, so, a couple of things I thought would be great to do for response. Um, and the first is that as I was praying and preparing, I thought that the encouragement from Barnabas really resonated, the encouragement to keep going. And um, I, I was supposed to say this earlier, but you know, sometimes it feels like when you're following Jesus, sometimes it feels like, you know, it is like the, you've got your arm around him and you can walk, but sometimes it also feels like you're holding on by the, your fingernail and your pinky. And that, like, that's as much as you can, strength as you can muster. And that's enough, because God is with you and he loves you. And I really, I just wanted, had this sense, I wanted to pray, we want to pray for people today who are feeling in that place, who for whatever reason are just feeling like they're, they're clinging on by the tip of their finger. And we want to pray for you that you would know God's presence and his love and his power and his strength in your life. And in a moment, what I'm gonna do is ask you to put up a hand and be brave. And we're just, we're not going to invite, you're not going to, you don't have to say what it is, not going to make you say anything, but just invite people around you just to pray for you that you would know God's peace and his presence and his strength and his love, okay? And the second group of people that I want to pray for is, it's, the, it's those of us here today who you, based after what I've said, it's like, actually, God, I want to say I'm a Jesus person. I'm going to, I want to be all in. I want to give you my full allegiance, everything that I am, to follow you, to be all about you, to live for you in this life, as many days as I've got left on this earth, to see your kingdom come. Because this is the most important thing that God's doing. And so if that's you today, I'm gonna to invite you to stand up and to say, I wanna be counted. And it might be that you know, you've been a follower of Jesus for a while and you've kind of wandered away. And today you wanna to say, actually no, I wanna realign myself with God's priorities and be all about his kingdom. Or it might be that you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, but you see what he's done for you on the cross when he laid down his life for you, and you say, actually, I've never known a love like this. I want to know that love and walk in that love and in, in him for the rest of my life. Does that make sense? And so if that's you as well, I'll invite you to stand in a moment. So the first group of people, is there anyone here, you need, you're just in that place where you need to know God's strength and his presence in your life because of, for whatever reason, if you could just put up a hand now, we'd love to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Don't leave here without getting prayer. Great, thank you. So if you could just keep your hand up and then maybe just the people around, just have a look. See there's a few over here. 
to say, you don't need to ask what it is necessarily, the person might want to share, but just to pray, ask if you can put a hand on their shoulder, just pray with them. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.